Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with the performer and mindset business coach, Gilad Paz. Gilad? Hello, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Yuri. Thank you so much for having me. I am doing great. Very excited to be here. <laughs> that is wonderful. I, I love to hear it. So for my listeners who are less familiar with you and what you do, how do you describe yourself and what you do? So I'm a multi-genre performer, producer, and also a mindset and business coach at The Marketable Musician, where I help all kinds of creatives create the most artistically fulfilling life that they can have by offering some other ways to look at what it means to be an artist in the 21st century. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So I, I want to unpack all of those, but let's start from the beginning before we do uh so music and performing what initially made you interested in the music industry and performing okay so um i was born in the u.s but raised in israel and uh i've always loved performing i love the attention I was definitely a, a little attention seeker growing up, <laughs> um, but always loved singing. Uh, it's always been, uh, 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 music has always been a part of my life. I remember one of my very early memories was actually um, being, I believe, about five years old, listening to records, actually classical music records, um, and you know, actually going to the to the record player and flipping them and like mm -hmm. actually actively listening to music a lot. And mm -hmm. it was classical music. Um, it was uh, classic Israeli music, um, a lot of Israeli music growing up. Um, some of the <clears throat> um, biggest names, most, you know, kind of recognizable names uh, in, uh, in Israeli music. And then uh, just listening to a lot of um, actually choir uh it, kind of israeli choir music so not classical but kind of uh music that was written for choirs um that were uh but not kind of a uh, religious or you know any kind of that classical realm more uh folk actually probably folk would be a good a good way to describe it mm, okay. um and israel is a very musical society uh singing goes very uh far back in israeli culture um, and part of that is having uh, choruses, of course, in uh, elementary school, which is actually where I first got on stage. So that was when I was around seven years old, was the first time that I was on stage and actually sang a solo in front of my entire 
school. And wow. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was something that I had a great time doing. Uh, it was funny. I was the only boy in, uh, in, the, in the choir, mm-hmm. um, but I never cared because that was something that I loved. From there, I moved on to um, Israel has a lot of um, uh, municipalities that create their own singing um, groups for kids and youth. So I actually uh, went on to be in one of these uh, um, youth groups, uh, Think think Menudo, but 25 kids singing classic Israeli songs live with some, you know, some harmonies and things like that. So <laughs> I really, right? I know the Menudo reference always makes it's, people laugh in the it's States. It's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, we, so I'm, I'm performing and I'm doing that and, I, and, I, and there I've learned to really be on a bigger stage, holding a microphone, holding uh, uh, you know my own uh, part in a in a in a in an arrangement, um, and then after being in that group and then joining uh, a, um, an older youth group, we actually uh, my family and I relocated to Long Island, um, New York, and mm-hmm. I went to high school in Plainview. Uh, which at the time had a very, very good uh, music program, especially their choir. Their mm-hmm. choir was excellent. That is where I got more into classical singing. I got to sing more um, religious uh, um, choir pieces, uh, learned to, you know, had, again, solos, performing. And that was a whole new world to me even though at the same time I was writing some original songs in Hebrew in my parents' basement. Mm. Fast forward to the end of, uh, of um, high school, we moved back to Israel. And I actually was a little uh, young. I finished high school in three years. So I had some time before I had to actually get into, uh, before I was drafted to the Israeli army. I had about a year and a half. So I decided to go to contemporary uh, jazz school, contemporary music and jazz school in Israel called Rimon um, back in 2000, 2001. Um, it was a very interesting experience because I I got to learn more about the, um, uh, the world of, of jazz. But more importantly, I learned that I was never going to stay in Israel to pursue a music career mm. because I realized that that was a very small pool of an audience and in order to be a working musician in Israel you really had to be consensus because there are no real places for niche because when you're singing in Hebrew when you're doing that your potential audience is about eight million people Mm -hmm. when you sing in English it's several billion right of course so I went into the army, was lucky enough to serve in the Armored Corps Entertainment Group of the uh, IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, Mm -hmm. um, and spent two and a half out of my three-year mandatory service singing with um, uh, backing tracks, Um, again, Israeli pop music, and entertaining troops in bases, uh, going to high schools, performing there, Uh, actually got to to be a warm-up act for some really major um, uh, musicians in Israel back then, um, and really amazing uh, experiences. 
halfway through which the three-year uh, um, service, I actually was already uh, applying and auditioning for schools in New York. I love New York City. I wanted to come back here. And what I decided to do, interestingly enough, is actually go into classical singing. Not to be an opera singer, per se, mm -hmm. but in order to be the best rock singer I could be. Because I grew up from around age 12 listening to Deep Purple and Queen mm. and The Who and Led Zeppelin. And I wanted to be as good as Freddie Mercury and yeah. Ian Gillen and Roger Daltrey and Robert Plant and all of these magnificent singers. And I was like, oh, Gilad, if you want to sing like that, you need to know how to sing classical. Of course, the irony is that none of them, mostly none of them have actually studied classical music, classical singing. Right. Um, so technically, I'm actually, uh, you know, can, you know, a little bit more proficient than they have been. <laughs> you know, it's a funny little, funny irony in that. Mm -hmm. So 2005, not four months after I got out of the army in Israel, I already showed up here in New York. And I went to school at the Aaron Colvin School of Music at Queens College. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an amazing uh, experience because it was a small school. So A, didn't have to go into debt, which I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, B, I had a lot of opportunities to perform. At 23 years old, I was singing with, um, uh, I was singing uh, solos in uh, Bernstein's Songfest. Mm -hmm. um, uh, an, an amazing piece being conducted by um, the late Maurice Perez, who was the orchestra director of Queens College, who actually used to work, be an assistant to Leonard Bernstein wow. in his heyday. Yeah. So working with these kind of people, singing at 25, being um, um, uh, the soloist for the Beethoven Ninth Symphony, you know, things that I could never even imagine being able to do if I stayed in Israel. Mm -hmm. At the same time, while I was in Queens College from 2005 to 2010, I also performed a lot of rock music. I was actually in a Pink Floyd tribute band um, between 2006 and 2009. I had my own original um, rock band, you know, that we performed, actually performed on the same stage where I used to perform all of my uh, classical singing at Queens College because they had a battle of the bands. And, mm -hmm. you know, have a little story about that if we're going to get to it later. Um, but, you know, doing all of that in the, at the same time as I was studying classical, which mm. definitely raised eyebrows. Um, after graduating, I've been doing a lot of the same kind of things, uh, performing uh, in, uh, in uh, classical uh, concerts, uh, productions, you know, full opera productions, uh, musical theater productions, mostly with opera companies, and also uh, working on my own uh, side projects. Um, if it's working with uh, Israeli and Jewish audiences, uh, doing a lot of uh, Israeli music uh, cover band work, mm -hmm. um, singing in uh, in the last several years, um, singing more uh, um, uh, weddings, sitting weddings, and doing uh, actually some work as a Israeli and Jewish music specialist. Hmm. Um, which has been uh, very, uh, uh, a really cool thing to do and, and very lucrative, quite honestly, mm -hmm. uh, more than any um, 
opera performance I've ever done, <laughs> uh, which is why I kind of moved away from it um, in uh, uh, 2018. Um, yeah. And also working uh, on my own projects like Op Rock, which was a, a concert, a pops concert project, which eventually led to my current main project, which is Voce Nova, which is a duo where we combine the luxury of classical and the excitement of uh, pop and rock music in really cool shows. We do mashups, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And we actually were on America's Got Talent in 2020 as well. Oh, so wow. my life has been really in this, you know, kind of finding my voice musically, mm -hmm. um, finding what gets me excited and really um, building on my own musical background and my own lived experiences, which is something that I talk a lot about in my coaching uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's very extensive and I absolutely love it. So um, let's unpack some of the things that you were doing. Um, but I kind of want to do it through the lens of the other areas that you were focused on, which is the idea of, of marketability. And, and you mm -hmm. mentioned this a couple of times already about, you know, the, the, the market in Israel versus the States and, and where to focus on. So what initially made you want to, I guess, in your music career, think about the idea of marketability and how has that evolved through your career? That's a great question. Um, I always felt a little bit different maybe than other musicians because I've always looked at music as a business. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, the idea of the starving artist was never something that I really subscribed to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always thought of, yes, I love doing it, but I never thought about, oh, this is my passion. I need to just be thankful for any opportunity that happens here. Yeah. Um, a big thing about that um, and, and, and a big way of, of thinking that, you know, solidified that for me is, as I mentioned, Israel is a very um, music, uh, musical society mm -hmm. and everybody sings. In a place where everybody sings, being a singer is very difficult mm. because everybody's like, oh, I mean, I can sing. This, right. person, this person can sing. You should be thankful for every, you know, for people actually giving you a stage to, to get on, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and that was not for me. Okay. Um, for me, it was about finding a way to create a performing life that would um, be, that would make me money. Now, okay. let me just pause here and say this as well. And this is something that I am, that I never hide. And I always talk about for the past 11 years, in order to support my singing and my performing career, I've actually had a, a correlating career as my uh, friend and, and uh, fellow coach, Dana Lynn Varga uh, coined a correlating career as a real estate agent here oh. in New York city. Mm -hmm. And that has actually been one of the best decisions I've ever made for my performing career because having the financial stability and schedule flexibility to be able that allow me to uh to pursue my uh performing endeavors has been unbelievable and it has allowed me to create the kind of artistically fulfilling life that i try to help my clients create because 
there is, you know, you, you mentioned the word marketability and my business is called the marketable musician mm -hmm. because I truly believe, and I've seen it. Musicians can be extremely successful in other areas and other fields mm -hmm. that can then help them create the kind of life that they want. They can be really good at marketing themselves if they can connect to what they are selling and who they are selling as in themselves. Mm -hmm. And those are things that I found to be really um, interesting. And, and I found them to be um, true about myself the more I worked in a different field and in sales, mm -hmm. in, you know, uh, inherently. Yeah. Um, so marketability is super important. I think that if we, I always say this, there, the world is full of mediocre artists who are extremely successful because they know how to market themselves and they are confident with what they're doing and is even more full of unbelievable artists who are just sitting in the wings waiting to be discovered mm. and are not thinking about in any way, shape or form about how to actually make money and market themselves and their art. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you know, have you met people like that? I've, I've met a couple, <laughs> just, just, just a couple. Uh, so I'm curious why you chose real estate out of other, you know, possible uh, ways to make, um, let's say a stable, I, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll use the word stable income, but why particularly was it about real estate that really kind of drew you into it? The potential earnings and the, and the fact that I didn't have to answer to anyone if I needed to go away for three, four, five weeks for a production. Ah, okay. I was fired very unceremoniously <laughs> for my first bartending job in New York oh, because yeah? the general manager did not like the fact that I kept changing my schedule to, to fit my, um, my performance and rehearsal schedules at school and all that. Mm -hmm. And I knew, and at the time that I, um, at the time that I went into real estate, I actually had what you could consider like the pinnacle job of a server in New York city, which was a steakhouse across the street from Penn station inside a hotel. Mm -hmm. So you could only imagine between the concert crowd, the, um, the sports crowd, the after work crowd and the hotel guests, that was a lot of money. I used to, there were nights where I could leave the, the restaurant with four to $500 in my pocket in tips. Great. But I knew that that wasn't sustainable mm -hmm. for the kind of life that I wanted for the kind of career that I, that I saw for myself. And a couple of my friends at the time, this was in 2011, a couple of my friends were, who are musicians were in that, um, in that world already. Uh, one of them for about six months, uh, the other for about a year and a half. And they both were talking to me about, about this. And, and I said, you know what? Let me jump right in. And this is, this is just something about me. I, mm -hmm. I'm a rip the band-aid kind of person. I, I decided to go into real estate. I took the courses and got my license within a month. Um, when I decided to become a, a coach, which ended up really being a calling that I never 
thought was, you know, my wife always says, I've never heard you say the word calling about anything else but performing until you discovered coaching. And that also, I decided that I was going to do that. Within a month, I went from, you know, decision to taking courses and getting certified um, uh, as a coach. So for me, making the decision to go into real estate was, okay, let me try this out. Let Mm -hmm. me see what happens. And it wasn't easy. But within a couple of years, I created systems. I got better at it. And I was at a point where I could very easily be able to say, you know what? I want this gig. I can, oh, there's an audition in Cincinnati that I need to go to in a week. No problem. I can make that happen because I had the money to pay for it. And a classical career and any kind of music career is really expensive. Um, I had the money to pay for it. And I had the flexibility to just say, you know what? I'm uh, not going to be here for the next couple of, uh, you know, on these days. And it is what it is. Or yeah. didn't even have to say anything to anyone at all. Yeah. So that makes a big, big difference. Gotcha. So let's, let's, you mentioned coaching. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and you describe it again as kind of your second calling, but what, got you introduced into the idea of being a coach and what was that process like? And along with that, talk about the, what, the coaching you offer now to, to individuals. Yeah. So in hindsight, I've always been a coach and I've learned that um, when I, so the beginning of the pandemic started you know the pandemic came you know came down on all of us and uh the first thing i did was actually rest (laughs) for a couple of weeks (laughs) i was like okay you know it's gonna be a few weeks it's gonna be you know let me take the advantage let me take advantage and you know i mean i work hard you know between real estate and performing and all that you know and 2020 started really you know a lot of things were happening at the time we actually shot our um uh, america's got talent segment right on march 14th which mm. was insane we didn't have an audience and all that stuff and we got back and all of a sudden you know think about march 14 2020 we came back from la and it's like everything changed you yeah. know all of a sudden new york is closing and all that so i'm you know i'm, I'm taking a couple of weeks off and then i said okay now let me take advantage of this time that no one else is working to create something because this is the way I am. Uh, Op Rock, the, the, the concert pops, uh, the, the pops concerts project that I, uh, that I mentioned before was created mm-hmm. when I was laid up for three months after tearing my Achilles tendon back in 2015 on, on stage in the middle of my aria. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I'm the kind of person that if I'm going to get stuck at home, I'm going to get some, some stuff done, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, So I saw that a coach that I knew named Jennifer Rosenfeld um, was offering a summit on Facebook, on her Facebook group, um, that was two weeks, two to three interviews a day with people who are musicians, but also are doing other things like someone in the um, you know, arts admin uh, world, uh, someone in the coaching world, someone in the teaching world, someone who was doing like web developing, all kind of different things. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? This sounds interesting. Let me dive deeper into this music business side because mm-hmm. I've always loved it. And, you know, let me see. It was a wonderful series. Um, 
And at the end of that series, she said, okay, I have this intensive two and a half days. Let's, you know, if you're interested, come join. Um, it was $500 investment. And, you know, we're going to do the same thing, but it's going to be really intense two and a half days with, you know, a lot of content, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., like a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, see if there's anything that, that you know, strikes your fancy. So I said, you know what? That sounds like a great investment. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me jump in. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful couple of days. And the last um, uh, homework piece that we got <laughs> was to choose a date by which we will decide what kind of online business we would um, the, we, we are going to be able to, to open. Now, something that I learned in during the, the, the height of COVID is that even though um, the kind of job that you need to be there in front of your clients to do, mm-hmm. it was not really a remote kind of job. Right. And with my performing life, I said, you know, finding a way to create a more remote opportunity for me to make money could be really interesting. So I, it was uh, middle of um, April. I gave myself a May 1st deadline to decide what I was going to be doing. By April 28th, I knew I had to go into coaching. Um, then I put out a... A, a Facebook post. And I said, Hey, do I know anybody in the coaching world? I would love mm-hmm. to, to chat. And a, a woman who I went to school with for one year, mm-hmm. and we were just one semester, we were together uh, in the same uh, opera studio class. She chimed in and said, Hey, my uh, husband is a, uh, is a coach. I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you. And I got on this call and I had a an amazing conversation with the person who would actually become my own coach, mm-hmm. Eli Shaw, mm-hmm. uh, with whom I've been working for over two years now. Um, and we had this conversation. He did, you know, we, 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 he actually just didn't even offer. We just kind of like talked. And then I asked him some questions. We had another call and I realized, you know what? This is something that I can really um, help with. Um, because I've always been the kind of person who had really meaningful and, and deep conversations with colleagues mm. and friends in the music business, because I'm, I always, I'm always everybody's biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in competition. I never have. I believe that there is room for everyone and that the success of one artist can only make it better for others, especially when it comes to getting paid for our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been there to listen. Um, and I've learned in my work with Eli and in my own work um, as, uh, as a coach and with NLP and you know the kind, of, the kind of work that I do is that the coach is first and foremost there to listen and ask questions, mm-hmm. not offer advice. Mm. That is a big distinction that I feel like a lot of people don't really realize. I also consult. And in, in, in my consultations, 
called, you know, when, when someone calls for a consultation, that is, and they're searching, they're seeking my advice. Okay. So I still ask them questions to understand, but that's where I, I you know, they're expecting me to bring my own business experience as a performer, as a musician, as a, a business person and help them. But in my coaching work, it is a lot about being there as a support mechanism first and foremost, hmm. especially when, you know, this is something that, you know, my, you know, when my clients come up to me and, and, and you know, they're, they're going through some difficult times with balancing, because that's a big thing, especially I said, musicians in the 21st century, artists in the 21st century, we are rarely only, very few of us are only doing our, 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 our art and that's it you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and finding a way to juggle that life, finding a way to be a parent and not feeling like putting energy and time into your performing career is taking away from your family. Mm. I have a couple of, of, of parents who definitely struggled with that in the past. <laughs> right. Um, finding ways to support yourself in a way that that will still make you feel like you're a musician because how many times have you know have even i mean all of us have heard in in as mu as musicians as any kind of artist oh if you don't do this 100 percent of your time you don't deserve to be called a musician right and who told us that yuri professors college <laughs> professors <laughs> um <laughs> Do you consider yourself a musician? I'm sure you do, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's those kind of things and those kind of limiting beliefs that I, I'm really excited about working uh, with my clients on. Gotcha. And that is the kind, and having these conversations, honestly, lights me up. Hmm. It wow. truly, truly lights me up. When, uh, when a client emails me and says, you know, these people offered me $3,000, but I know that I'm worth $6,000 for this concerto. And I was able to go back and all of a sudden they magically found those $3,000 because I stood my ground and said, listen, I deserve this. Nothing makes me happier. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, when, when a mother tells me, you know, I realized that when I spend, when I allow myself to spend focused time practicing 15 minutes a day to do what I need to do, I'm so much more there and present when I'm with my family and with my loved ones, that makes my heart sink. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that, you know, I didn't even realize when I, when I said this was a calling, I didn't even realize how much this was going to positively impact my, my life personally, mm -hmm. working with these, with these wonderful people and being able to be there for them as the kind of support that quite honestly, I didn't have mm. in my, you know, in my, in my life, in my, in my performance career, mostly. I mean, I've had very, I'm very lucky to have very uh, supportive family and parents, but in my performing career, that has not been there. And that's okay. part of why I want to be there for others. Gotcha. I'm, 
curious as you, and this also could be as uh, when you speak with your, your coaching clients as well, but the concept and the idea of fear. And so in, you know, in your own career, you made many decisions um, that, you know, could, could have been very fearful that, you know, the, the idea of even coming over to the, the States when you're, you know, grew up in Israel. Um, so I'm curious on how you think through times when you're fearful or how do you work with your clients to think through and to plan through times when they're fearful? Yuri, that is an amazing question. <laughs> it is. And I'll tell you why it's an amazing question. You ready? Okay. There are three pillars to the marketable musician coaching. Okay. Okay. Fearless performance, financial empowerment, and artistic freedom. Oh. Because fearlessness is huge. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm very fortunate that I have generally been pretty fearless in my life. I think that a big part of that is, comes from the realization pretty young that I don't need to be like everybody else. And I don't need to necessarily follow the same path. Mm -hmm. I think that fear is, or more, more so the fear of failure mm. is very um, prominent in our lives in general. And I think that one way of approaching it is really First of all, understanding where the fear comes from, which is part of the, of the work that I do with my clients mm -hmm. um, and, and asking questions to, to get down to the, to the deep-seated issues and, and experiences that may have brought that fear um, on, um, but being able to really connect with who we are and accepting that part of the process is failure and looking fear in the eye and saying, you know, I understand that I fear this, mm -hmm. but let me try it anyway, mm -hmm. because what's the worst that could happen? Right. And that is a question that comes up a lot with my clients just the other day had this conversation with someone who was not sure that they should reach out to big opera companies for an audition. And the question was, what's the worst that could happen? And the answer was, they won't get back to me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, that sounds pretty good. What's the, what's the best case scenario? Oh, mm -hmm. I get to audition. It's like, okay. And the, the conversation like just completely went 180, mm. <laughs> you know, and shifted <laughs> towards, okay, so how am I, how should I write this email? What should I put in there? What should, you know, this is the kind of, of, of thinking that when we are allowing, when we allow ourselves to actually take a step back, acknowledge the fear and then take a step back and say, okay, Let's play this scenario out. Now, for some people, it's easier than others. And that's why 
this is part of my work as a coach. I'm here to help the ones who may not have as, as easy a time, you know, looking into that and really kind of figuring that out, help them figure that out. But when we are able to look at it and say, you know what, let's see, these are, this is the worst case scenario. This is the best case scenario. Okay. How fearful am I of the worst case scenario at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, many times, we realize that, you know, as we say in Hebrew, the demon is not so bad. I like that. I like that a lot. So with everything that you have done and experienced in your career, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Hmm. The best advice I've ever received was to be myself and acknowledge that it doesn't have, that I don't have to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a kid, I always was very hyper. I think that if I was, so I was born in 1983. I think that if I was born like five years later, Mm-hmm. I would have probably been pumped full of drugs when I was in elementary school mm-hmm. because I used to just walk around. So if the entire class is sitting down to do a project, Gilad walks up and socializes, mm-hmm. you know, I never really fit that the mold. Um, and that's okay because being able to understand that, I am unique and each one of us is unique. And that's actually something that I touch on with my, with my clients all the time. Um, I actually have uh, a, a PDF that I like sending out. So if anybody's listening, I'm, I'm happy to send it to you as well called Acknowledge Your Own Worth, which mm-hmm. is about finding the uniqueness and what makes each of us unique because that allows us to live life from a place of I am who I am And as long as I can show who I am authentically on a regular basis in my interactions, in, you know, when it comes to music or art, you know, with my artwork, with my uh, auditions, with whatever. And as long as I can show that, and I know that I am who I am, I can accept whatever feedback and whatever criticism that comes out from the, the person on the other side, because it's okay. Yeah you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, you know? Um, the the Voce Nova, my, my duo, got on America's Got Talent and was rejected specifically by Simon Cowell in front of 10 million viewers in the US alone. Mm. And people kept asking me afterwards, like, wow, how do, you, how do you deal with that? How can you go on? How can you keep talking about that experience? And for me, it was very simple. I said, we came in, we gave a great performance after a very difficult day. We showed who we are because we sang Libiamo, the famous uh, opera uh, number with a Moroccan dance beat oh. that we planned on having 3,000 people clapping and dancing to. Mm-hmm. And we did a wonderful job. I'm very proud of us. At the end of the day, one person didn't like us. Ah. Did he yes. say Why? Um, honestly, yeah, he had to backtrack some things. Ah, okay. <laughs> like it was, it was a little bit all over the place. Gotcha. Um, oh, there's no audience for it. Um, it is super dated, and it's like, 
aren't you the person who created Il Devo? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, opera really works on AGT, but you know, we we accepted it. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was one person's opinion. Right. Yes, specifically in that situation, the most powerful person in the room. However, it was still only him that was really not enjoying it. And then the other judges had to, you know, kind of kind of uh, align themselves because, sure. you know, he was paying their, you know, he's the one signing the paychecks. Right. But at the end of the day, if one person didn't like it, that is no reflection on my worth, on who I am personally, who I am as an artist. And at the end of the day, I will tell you that when we perform with Voce Nova in corporate events and private events and fundraisers and all kind of situations that we're in, people specifically with that number lose their minds. Hmm. So we know that it works. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work for one person, that's okay. And I think that understanding and, and being given this advice of be yourself, this also came back to when I was told in Queens College that I shouldn't be singing rock music. Mm-hmm while I was performing because, oh, that's not good for your voice. It's like, excuse me? You loved the way I was singing the nine high C's the other day before you knew anything about my, my uh, uh, rock performing life. Right. You know, people don't know what, people don't know better than you who you are and what you bring to the table. Mm. Our job is to be able to be us, show up in a way that is, um, that makes sense for the situation that shows us that that shows ourselves in the best light that we can and that allows us to come in and say the old adage it's not me it's you (laughs) (laughs) i love it well gilad it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today uh and thank you so much for coming on the show if the listeners would like to uh well hear you perform, see you perform, or uh, potentially sign up for your coaching, where are the best places they can go to do that? So this is very easy, giladapaz.com. And this is also something that a lot of people don't do. And I did this uh, in 2021. I actually combined both my performing and coaching into one website, Mm. the after years of having to separate even my classical singing from my rock and pop singing, I decided to stop apologizing for myself and say, you know what? I am all of these things. Mm-hmm. So when you go to giladpaz.com, you can read all about the marketable musician and the different um, uh, courses and uh, one-on-one full impact coaching that I offer as well as look into the performer Gilad and find out everything and see all of the kind of singing singing that I do from concert work, opera, musical theater, um, uh, rock, to uh, Voce Nova, of course, and even a video of me doing a hora at a wedding. So (laughs) you can check out all of that at giladpaz.com. Wonderful. And I will put those links in the show notes. Uh, Well, Gilad, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Yuri. It was a great time and I love what you're doing. Please keep doing it. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.